I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on 680 CJOB. Over the weekend, Prince Harry stunned the world by publicly discussing something a royal never has. Therapy. His own. It was triggered by the death of his mom, Diana. This revelation from Prince Harry inspired our friend and colleague to reach out to you, Greg. You spoke with him last night on Charles Adler Tonight which runs from 9 until midnight on 680 CJOB. Now, we are going to speak with Charles after the 1.30 news, but before that, here is some of that conversation from last night with Charles Adler. So, Greg, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to contact you was because when I was reading about uh, uh, Prince Harry and, and a royal being this uh, revealing about uh, getting uh, very much needed uh, counselling, in his case because of the, uh, the, the natural grief uh, that was the onset of the death of his mother, Diana, I thought to myself... It's so rare for public people uh, to do reveals on getting help. It shouldn't be. Uh, to me, it should be no different than, you know, you're getting counseling for your, your mind. It should be no different than getting help for your, your heart or your, your brain or your leg or whatever else has been damaged or wounded or, or injured. Nevertheless, uh, it is what it is. In 2017, it's still considered a very large reveal. Before we talk about what Greg Mackling has revealed over the years, what's your take on the Harry story? I have to tell you, I was very heartened when he made the assimilation to cardiology. If you look at how many people die from heart attack and heart disease every year, it's a staggering number. And that number has gotten smaller over the years through a variety of means, research, technology, better health care, the intuitive skill of amazing doctors. This is increased our life expectancy when we have critical matters of the heart and this is of the physical heart and so when prince harry is drawing that assimilation it is very heartwarming pardon the pun charles to realize that one day we may be as comfortable with the idea of talking about how many stents you had how many bypasses you had as to how many treatments whether it be of rtms or of talk therapy that you've had in order to get your mind right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, some people who aren't familiar with this in a personal way, they think it's just about uh, being a little happier, uh, you know, helping with your moods. I don't think they get how debilitating, how utterly debilitating depression can be. It's, it's difficult to describe if you haven't been there. You get the Typical outsider point of view on a lot of these things, uh, depression in particular. Um, all you have to do is look, go back to the Great Wars, World War One and World War Two, and something called shell shock. And we know that now as PTSD, realizing that even the strongest, the bravest of our men and women that have been exposed to uh, things that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy they come back into our society and we have a, a hard time understanding what they've been through. We cut funding to programs for individuals that have given the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I think, Chuck, the only reason that happens is because of a genuine lack of understanding that there's some sort of choice in being mired in the muck of despair and of reliving either your nightmares or of having a situation where your brain has actually been literally kicked in a different direction, whether it's through brain injury 
or some life-altering experience that you're, you're trying to run from and, you're, and your body's doing its best to protect you from, uh, unless you've been down that road, it's very, very difficult to relate. Brett McGarry here. This is Mackling and McGarry. You are listening to a conversation from last night with Greg Mackling on Charles Adler tonight, talking about Prince Harry opening a discussion on mental health. It's always been an honor to have you, Greg Mackling, on, on my show because, of course, in, in my business, at my end of the microphone, you always want someone on who can not just tell a story but personalize it. It's the kind of radio that I, I choose to do, and it's what our listeners expect. Greg Mackling, you honored me a number of years ago by not just telling me one of your many stories, but really, really personalizing a story that starts with a car accident in Calgary. I'm never going to assume that everyone listening right now knows the story, so if you don't mind, would you tell it for us again? Uh, I don't mind at all, and I'm I'm honored to to share it with you because I know I'm not the only one that has had a life-altering whether it's a car accident, a fall, uh, some sort of uh, sporting injury where one minute you're minding your own business and the next things are just not quite right. They're not the same. And just because you haven't been knocked out or been in a coma for hours or days or, or weeks, your brain has been permanently altered, and that was the case with me. I, I went 18 months without being diagnosed with a front frontal lobe brain injury. I was rear-ended by a vehicle going, uh, well, the speed limit was 80 kilometers per hour. I was standing still at a red light, and the woman that hit me was, was ticketed with speeding and dangerous driving. So uh, she was going at least 80 kilometers per hour when she hit me. I don't remember very much after the immediate impact. I do know that I was awake. I did some things that were uncharacteristic. I, in fact, found out many years later that the attending police officer first on the scene was a friend of mine from Winnipeg who I'd known for years. I didn't realize that that was the case till about six years later when I'd seen him and he had asked me how I was doing, and I didn't even know how he knew about the accident. I um, was a high-achieving sales representative when this happened. I was living the dream, Chuck, in Calgary, and it was it was taken away uh, quickly but slowly at the same time. I tried to return to work, kind of a graduated return to work program, but something wasn't right from the get-go. I, I couldn't remember my own brother's phone number. Someone that I spoke to twice a day, typically. He lived in Vancouver and I was in Calgary, as you said. Uh, he and I were very close. I tried to kickstart my own rehabilitation by taking a dream holiday to uh, see some baseball parks that uh, was always on my list of things to do. I very quickly realized that that wasn't bringing me much joy. My relationship with my brother, was, who was my best friend, uh, very tenuous. It, this had altered not only my physical being, but who I was as a person. I got very little joy out of certain things. Uh, alcohol became a, a friend at times, an all-too-frequent friend to, to try and escape from what I was dealing with. And the experts were at times baffled. Uh, because of the way I presented myself. It might not surprise anyone to realize that when you're in an automobile accident, accident and you're, 
you're making uh, decent money, that there's a, a lawsuit involved. And I'll never forget the time, and I think I've shared this with you before, Chuck, when my lawyer told me that this, this was a sticky situation. It was a difficult situation for him because I didn't come across as enough of a victim. I uh, was a proud athlete at one time in my life, and I always use the analogy of trying to keep the puck in at the blue line when you're on a power play or putting pressure on in the offensive zone. And when the puck comes back to you at the blue line and it bounces over your stick, you don't throw your stick on the ice and throw your gloves off and start yelling at the people around you. You, you gather the puck as quickly as possible. You let your teammates clear the zone and, and you try again. And it felt as though every time I would try to regain the zone, it was, uh, it was up against a brick wall. Our very own Greg Mackling in conversation with Charles Adler last night on the subject of going public on mental health issues. And we will continue that conversation after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. We are having a conversation about mental health. Prince Harry has spoken publicly about his therapy, which he's been undergoing since his mother, Princess Diana, died. Last night, Charles Adler invited our very own Greg Mackling on his show, Charles Adler Tonight, to talk about the mental health trials and tribulations he has experienced. More of that chat now. How old was Greg Mackling when his life was changed forever in southeast Calgary? I had just turned 30 years old. And like I said, I had done a variety of things in my life. Uh, I was a restaurant guy uh, from the time I was 15 years old until I was, uh, well, until I was 29. I'd owned restaurants, or well, a restaurant. I'd worked in different restaurants managing and, and trying to provide hospitality for people. Uh, my life was people. And then I got into the sales world and in telecommunications not long after that and was excelling in that very quickly. And like I said, it was uh, very, very quickly taken away from me. Why did it take so darn long for them to figure out what the hay was wrong with you? I think part of it is the CYA of today's world. For as much as people want to cover and take care of of you as a patient, as much as they want to make you a priority, uh, there's a hesitance to take a leap into uh, maybe sending you for expensive testing. I, I don't really know. I do know that I did meet one psychologist along the way who had a really good sense that this had changed me in a profound way, but also knew, I, I don't know if it was my <laughs> underlying spirit, but I'll never forget, I don't remember her name, unfortunately, but I'll never forget her telling me that Someday, somehow, this is going to end up being the best thing that ever happened to you. And it felt a little odd because I was in her office because I had been having suicidal thoughts. I'd driven to Vancouver and uh, thought about driving my vehicle off the kicking horse pass. I figured, you know what, I won't be a burden to anybody any longer. My family and friends were having a hard time, maybe a harder time, it seemed, for me understanding what was wrong with me. Uh, they seemed to be concerned. And um, I started thinking about ways to not only lessen my own pain, but to alleviate theirs. And that's when I knew that uh, things had gone uh, 
very awry because that was that was not me. That was not uh, my spirit. Well, Greg, a lot of people uh, make a lot of good decisions at the kicking horse. They, they're thinking what you're thinking, and then there's something about that pass that uh, that makes them rethink it. So I'm, I'm glad that you revisited uh, that one uh, before making uh, your, your, your impulsive decision. But uh, I remember where I was specifically. I was in Boston when I was talking to a, a neurologist about frontal lobe injuries, and this doctor told me that it's almost impossible to have one of those without having your personality altered. And then fast forward years later where I meet uh, my good friend now, Greg Mackling in a Winnipeg studio, and you're telling me about the frontal lobe injury. And all I'm thinking is they should have been able to discover that very, very soon after the accident. And had they been able to do that, they would have immediately uh, put you into treatment. Yeah, I mean, this is 16, 17 years ago now. This is before Sidney Crosby's um, concussions where, uh, unless you're an expert, you can't even pinpoint where these things would have happened to him. He wasn't lying motionless on the ice. Uh, we've learned a lot about what happens inside the cranial cavity when your brain is shaken. Uh, you think about an egg and, and the violent uh, action that might take place if you throw that egg if you take it in your left or right hand and throw it forward you know what's happening to that yolk it's smashing on the inside of that shell which is what happens to your brain and that frontal lobe it controls so much of not necessarily your physical being but your personality who you are your your decision making your ability to organize and that's where i had the biggest problem was I couldn't organize anything. Um, sales is, <laughs> you have to be ex- extremely organized with your time. It is Mackling and McGarry replaying a conversation from last night on the subject of mental health and speaking out about it publicly with Charles Adler and Greg Mackling. This injury steals some of your skill sets and it steals some of the it ones is. that are, are the ones who are giving you that, that dream where you can have everything you want to have, the Porsche and, 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 and the life, and, and that's the, the, the trail that you were blazing in, in Calgary before it happened. So they steal your skill sets. Now, I want to go to some other uh, tremendous skill sets. The first time I became aware of you, you were participating in a, in a contest that was based on uh, American Idol. It was called uh, Radio Idol. It was at uh, 680 CGOB in Winnipeg. And uh, my producer, the great uh, Lizard Wallace at the time, said, hey, you've got to tune this guy in on Saturday night, Chuck. Uh, he really doesn't sound like a rookie, and I did, and that's when uh, my uh, affection, uh, my professional affection for, for Greg Mackling began. Question, if it wasn't for that day, that horrible day in Calgary, would you be on the radio right now? I would not. So the psychologist may have been right. I believe the psychologist may have been right. And, you know, uh, Charles, uh, my personality was dramatically changed as well. And uh, I don't want to skip over that. I, You know me. I draw things out a little bit longer than I should. I'm deliberate in my thoughts. I sometimes have a hard time to this day finding the exact right word that I'm searching for. There are people in my life that have been in my life for years and I may have had dinner with them several times. If they are new uh, prior to 2000 to my life, I can sometimes not remember that person's name. 
And so at times I struggle looking for the exact right word. But I'll tell you this, the experience of coming back from what I've come back from, in spite of some of the odds, including my own friends and family questioning my sincerity, my sincere desire to get back into the race, uh, has been heartwarming, it's been overwhelming, and the idea of being able to share any of the ideas that I have on radio after all this has happened, uh, to me is an extreme responsibility. I talk about depression. I talk about my battles with it openly. I also talk about brain injury in an open fashion because I know based on the response I've received via email or telephone calls or if I do a presentation in person, I know there's at least one person that's listening tonight that knows exactly what I'm talking about and may not be getting the help that they need, may not be getting the support that they require. And that's who I'm speaking with as much as I'm speaking with you tonight. Charles, thanks for what you do to bringing awareness to these issues that uh, seem pedestrian to some. And, and for a lot of people, it would appear that that happens to other people. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, it happens to your friends, it happens to your family, and it's incumbent upon all of us to do what you've done tonight, and that's just sometimes just to ask the right questions and to listen wholeheartedly. Greg Mackling on Charles Adler tonight. Last night, Charles reached out to Greg to discuss the subject of speaking publicly on mental health, inspired by Prince Harry breaking with the royal tradition of maintaining silence about mental health issues. Prince is sharing his emotional struggles after the death of his mother. And up next, Greg, we're going to be speaking with Charles Adler to continue this conversation. I know that you've taken a couple of phone calls about it in our newsroom. Um, So, I don't know. Approving the last point that I made, uh, that when we have this discussion, the best radio is, and you know this, Brett, when you get a little bit scatterbrained and you feel like maybe... The message isn't focused. The idea is to think of one person and to speak to one person. And I heard from one person today who said, Greg, you spoke to me last night. I'm not getting the help that I need. Can you help me? And so based on that alone, I think it was worth doing the discussion last night and re-airing it this afternoon. Charles Adler joins us next on Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. It's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for joining us today. And in case you are just tuning in, in the previous half hour, we replayed a conversation that was held last night on Charles Adler Tonight, which airs 9 to midnight on 680 CJOB. And it was a conversation with Greg Mackling on the subject of speaking out publicly on one's mental health issues The conversation was inspired by Prince Harry going public, saying that he had to seek help to deal with his emotional issues after the death of his mother, Princess Diana. And before we invite Charles Adler to join us live here on 680 CJOB, we just wanted to play what were his closing remarks on the subject last night as a way to reopen the discussion this afternoon. Greg Mackling, he didn't get into all of the biology, all of the neurology. And I'm not a doctor, I'm certainly not a brain surgeon or a neurologist. But I can tell you this, based on what I do know from experiences with other people, 
and interviews I've done with doctors. Greg Mackling came as close to death as possible, came as close as possible to losing much of his capacity to think and feel. And so Greg doesn't want to be dramatic or certainly melodramatic, but I'm just telling you this. And I'll do something right now that I don't think I've ever done before. For every listener at 680 CGOB in Winnipeg who knows Greg Mackling and listens to Mackling and McGarry frequently, thank you for what you do to support my friend's marvelous decision at Kicking Horse Pass to live. Stay alive. Charles Adler joins us now. And uh, Charles, your words will resonate in my mind for the rest of my days. What you don't know is that about four years ago, I was scheduled to do a similar conversation with you about an unrelated topic. I was privileged to have your hospitality in this studio when you were hosting from from nine till noon several years ago to talk about a variety of topics. And one morning I was having um, one of my worst mornings I'd had in years. I was writing um, goodbye letters to my family and to my uh, kids. And I was late for... Our appointment, our, our on-air appointment. And uh, I came in and, and we uh, kibitzed and we discussed, I don't recall the topic. And after we were done and went to break, as I was on my way out of the studio, you, you motioned to me and you asked me if I was okay. And I wasn't. And I immediately went to the Health Sciences Center uh, that Within the hour, I went directly from here. And uh, for as much as my mind uh, changed that day on Kicking Horse Pass, uh, you have no idea what you did for me that day. I love you. I love you like a brother. And uh, often when I have conversations with uh, some people I've had the good fortune of mentoring, you know, they always say, well, I, I can't thank you enough, and thanks for, for what you do for me and all the rest of it. And I say to them, you know what? I'm a selfish person, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I'm not putting myself down. It's the most selfish act of all for me to do what gives me the most amount of satisfaction. And what gives me the greatest amount of satisfaction is to see you, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, Lizard Wallace, and other people that I've worked with and, as I say, had the good fortune of mentoring, to see you coming along. And uh, most of the time, you guys are making really, really good decisions. You made a great decision that day to contact the HSC. I know that we've got people listening in the audience right now because they're really what this is all about. We throw ourselves on the sword from time to time, but we do it for you folks. If anyone is dealing with what Greg Mackling was dealing with that day, where all you're thinking about doing is saying goodbye. Please, say hello. Say hello to the HSC or the many helplines, or for God's sakes, contact Greg Mackling himself. He's easy to get a hold of, and it's a good decision you're going to make. It's a decision to stay alive. 
Charles, I've already had one call this morning. Somebody that was listening to our discussion yesterday, last night, and he's reached out and I'm doing my darndest to to get him the help that he needs. And, you know, I think about that first time we shared my story completely. And it was after the incident that I just outlined with you, the day that, um, that day of darkness for me. And I can remember telling you that it wasn't until I mourned who I was, who I was before all this had happened, before the car accident, before I understood that that was not coming back, that that was part of my past and that was really somebody else that I've been able to reconcile this whole thing. And that's a difficult thing to do, but a very necessary thing to do. So if, if, if you're listening and you're in a situation where you can't make heads or tails of who you are and who you've become, I'm not going to counsel anyone, but that worked for me. And the word that I didn't talk about with you last night that I wanted to talk about, you have a lot of legal a lot of legal uh, minds in your family. The word malingerer or malingering was something I had never, ever heard until I was in the middle of legal proceedings around this whole car accident. And it's a very ugly word in my mind. It's a legal word for, essentially, it means you're a faker. And when you see that legal terminology tied to your name, when all you're trying to do is to get better, um, there's something wrong with the system. A system that is supposed to encourage you to get better is actually holding you back. And that's one of the other things that I'm hoping over time that with your help and Brett's help, public's help, we can make the caregivers, the insurers understand that all this money that they spend on trying to convince themselves, each other, that you're just out to take the insurance company for a ride, that money would be much better spent in, in helping individuals get better when they genuinely have an issue. Well, that's why the American system of healthcare is such nonsense. You don't have to take it from me. You can take it from people who work inside the system. You can take it from economists. You can take it from patients, doctors, many of whom are, are Canadian working down there. But, you know, when when the right-wing ideologues say you don't want the government having a say in your health care, that's, that's a great line. But who does have a say in your health care? The health insurance company. How the hell are the health insurance companies going to make all the money they can when they allow you to get all the help you can? You think about that. For them to give you all the help that you deserve, they can't make a good profit. So what the hell is the point? So you were caught up in what, for all intents and purposes, was an adversarial system. Instead of helping you, they were playing mind games with you, trying to knock you down. But one thing you need to know, Greg, and this is something that's a lot larger than health insurance companies and and, and politics, is that the mind plays tricks on you. And when you've been through severe trauma, and you know, we've discussed trauma a lot, I discussed trauma a lot on 680 CGOB with the likes of Theo Fleury. And if Theo were in the room right now, and I think his spirit is with us right now anyway, because I think of him as my little brother. But Theo would be the first to tell you that the mind plays tricks on you when you suffer trauma, whether it's the kind of trauma that Graham James inflicted on Theo Fleury and so many others, 
or what that woman inflicted on you when she hit you at 80 kilometers an hour when you were at a dead stop in a subdivision in southeastern Calgary. You experience trauma. Trauma plays tricks on your mind for a long time. And here's the meanest, cruelest damn trick it plays on your mind. It convinces you that you were a better person yesterday than you are today or you will be tomorrow. That's a damn lie. It's a mind lie. That's not coming from the insurance companies. That's coming from your own brain. And people who suffer from PTSD have to deal with the same stuff. You need to know, Greg Mackling, I'm here to tell you, and I don't care whether you call me at 2 in the afternoon or 2 o'clock in the morning. I'll tell you any time, all day long, every day, that you, Greg Mackling, are a better person today than you were 17 years ago. And you're going to be a better person 17 years from now than you are today. We're going to continue our conversation with Charles Adler in a moment on Mackling and McGarry. My name is Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Charles Adler joining us over the phone live on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling, and we are having a conversation with our friend and colleague Charles Adler, who hosts Charles Adler tonight from 9 until midnight, Monday to Friday on 680 CJOB. And we are talking about mental health and the importance about speaking about it. Prince Harry broke royal tradition and said, yeah, I had problems and I needed to get help after his mother, Princess Diana, died. And he talked about how it is important and it's a topic that we shouldn't run away from. And I want to read a text message, and we're getting a lot of text messages at 204-780-6868. I want to read this text, which made me think of something that I want to ask you, Charles. And the text reads from Heather. Hi, Greg. Amazing show and topic. Thank you for your openness and honesty. Although this topic is becoming far more acceptable, here's something that isn't often addressed. For many of us with someone in their life, or themselves, suffering with depression, or the like, there isn't an apparent reason. For the prince, it was the loss of his mother, for yourself, an accident, and so on. There are many who don't come forward because they feel that they should be able to handle any symptoms, etc., because they don't have a reason for their feelings and thoughts. Many not suffering will ask or are perceived to think, what brought this on? What caused this behavior, feeling, or thought? Hence, not coming forward. So the question that brings to mind, Charles, involves something that's always been important to you, which is empathy. When it comes to mental health, being mentally unwell, why is it so hard for so many of us to show empathy? Same reason that when someone is walking into a supermarket and there's a person in front of them in a wheelchair, they won't make eye contact with the person. Another person's pushing an eye cart, a shopping cart, they do make eye contact. Why don't they make eye contact with the person in the wheelchair? Because it scares the hell out of them. And I think that other people's depressions, other people's infirmities, other person's disabilities scare the hell out of folks. And it doesn't matter what the reason is. You know, our minds, as we speak right now, we've been on the air here together for less than 15 minutes, and we've had millions of chemical interactions going on in our minds. The most amazing thing about human beings, some people want to call it a miracle. It doesn't really matter to me how you describe it. The point is we've got all these millions of interactions, and they work most of the time. But the truth is sometimes they don't. And when they don't, we need help. It doesn't matter whether we've got a story that, like Greg's or like Prince Harry's story about 
his mom. The fact is, something isn't working right. And if it was our iPhone, <laughs> if it was our arms, if it was anything else in our lives, if it was the microphones that you're using right now, there'd be no embarrassment, no stigma, no shame attached to getting help for it. So folks, if you've got a problem right now, you don't have to point to any specific story. You don't have to have the kind of story that works on the radio or works in Dr. Phil's TV studio. It's not a show. It's your life. And if you need the help, please get it. And you don't need to make any excuses for that to anybody. It's your life. I owe such a huge debt of gratitude to Dr. Janine Cutler. She worked with me hand in hand uh, for almost three years to to get well, to get better emotionally. And her her late husband, Dr. Marvin Brodsky, who happened to be one of my first psychology professors at university, worked with me on rehabilitating my brain injury. And I can remember, you still have the power of perspective. And, and, and you're looking around and you, you feel as though your situation can't possibly be that big of a deal because you know that there are others that are dealing with things that are so much larger than what you are. Forgive me for that. And like I'll never forget Janine just saying to me, you know, that may be true, Greg, but you have to realize that this is your reality and it's where you are isn't right and we've got to fix it. So don't do yourself the disservice of comparing your situation to others and convincing yourself you're not worthy of help. You're not worthy of reaching out. I Believe me, you are. We talked about the mind tricks earlier, and one of the crazy messages that our minds send us is when we're down on ourselves, and remember, nobody's more critical of you than you are. That's just the way we are <laughs> as human beings. We, we're very hard on ourselves, but the problem with that, of course, is that the mind convinces you that other people are caring less about you because you're caring less about yourself right now. You're devaluing yourself, and it's not true. There's so many people out there who love you. They may not tell you enough. None of us tell the people we love. We just don't say it enough. It doesn't really matter what the reasons are. But when we're down in our cups, when we're down a liter, that's what we're thinking, that other people are down on us just because we're down on ourselves. Not true. Reach out to the people who do care about you, and they care about you far more than you think. Uh, Charles, it's an amazing point. Uh, just you, you. There's that transference of your self-deprecation, your your own view and you cast that you send that out and you put that on other people and uh, I think you're exactly right there was a time when I, I didn't didn't want to see anybody because you know the the first two questions people ask are how are you and uh, where are you working and when you're feeling lousy and you don't have a job and uh, it's a poor start to conversation typically don't isolate yourself it's it's a, it's a dangerous thing to do there's an easy rule of thumb. When you're sending yourself negative messages about yourself, they're wrong. You know, there's that expression that's overused these days, fake news. If you're down on yourself, I don't care whether your name is Greg Brett McGarry or Greg Mackling or Greg McGarry or Brett Mackling or, or Susie Mackling or, or Janie Jones. I don't care who you are and what your name is. When you're sending yourself negative messages about yourself, that is fake news. Well, let me uh, close the conversation, Charles, with this text message from Dave. Um, Dave says, 
I'm not really sure if I'm affected by life's situations or brain injury from a motorcycle accident 30 years ago. Do not remember the accident, but I'm thinking that was a major factor. I'm living alone the last five years after losing my wife, house, and business. I was homeless in the month of March. I often sit on my couch alone at night and cry. Don't know why. Life is hell for me. I'm overcome by grief every day, sometimes three to four times a day. I really don't see a point in living anymore, except I have a 15-year-old disabled son I just can't leave yet, so I will just keep suffering for him. Thanks for listening, Dave. Dave, I'll, I'll get you a couple phone numbers, and uh, I've got your phone number here. I will reach out to you just as soon as I can, and thank you for sharing that sometimes, just speaking those words out loud, admitting to yourself that that's how you're feeling and that's how you're viewing things at the moment as a gigantic first step to making sure you don't go down that road you just outlined, Dave. Thank if you for that. If you're reaching out to us, Dave, it means that you want to stay alive and that's 90% of it. And in behalf of your disabled boy, thank you, Dad. Thank you very much. Charles Adler hosts Charles Adler tonight from 9 until midnight on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And the news is coming up next on 680 CJOB. 205, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, once again, thank you for all your text messages and your calls. I've got uh, information to get to several of you, I promise you. I am on that, and we'll get you phone numbers and uh, website addresses that you might need uh, for all of you uh, that are reaching out right now. Um, it just justifies the last hour that we spent talking about mental wellness and the requirement, the absolute necessity for us to speak out about it, to share our stories, uh, because there are those out there who are going through the very same thing I have been through. And by sharing uh, our stories, we make others feel comfortable and, and worthy of coming forward with uh, their concerns for their own health and their own situation. Right. Clay Young is here. Before, before we... we... Do anything and talk about what we brought you here for, Clay. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of text messages we've been getting whenever you read a newscast. <laughs> Is yeah. Clay Young back at CJOB? The, the happiness that the well, people are sharing. They're, everybody's pumped to hear Hey, I really Clay appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And, and you know, uh, one of the things they, they sent me out today to do is streeters. We call them streeters here. Where you go and you interview people on the street... You got a question of the day, mm -hmm. and uh, I really enjoyed doing that because there's somebody minding his own business, and all of a sudden this guy's <laughs> coming up with a CJOB mic. What do you want? I want you, sir. <laughs> How about you, ma'am? You next. Don't push. Plenty for everyone. Uh, but that was the poll we did today. Yep. Uh, about. And by the way, yes. can I ask... Because I did it a few weeks ago for the first time in, in a few years. I jumped on a, a city transit bus. You hitched a ride with Transit Tom. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a Winnipegism, you know. That really you try, is. You try some, telling somebody, uh, I was in Thunder Bay once, and I said, I think I have to take a Transit uh, Tom home. Said, what? <laughs> Who's Tom? Transit <laughs> Tom. What are you talking about? Oh, you don't call Transit Transit Tom here? No, that's well, a that, Winnipeg thing, I, I guess. That was the character that they yeah. would have, right? That kind of he had that thumbs up, and he was like, 
these are the rules on the bus, and it was all very positive. Yeah. You know, the biggest transgression you could typically make getting on a bus was if you had a Slurpee or something, and sometimes mm-hmm. you'd get a stern yeah. warning and a point to the rules. You know you're not really supposed to bring that. In Brandon, oh, you can't bring food, <laughs> a, a beverage, any. it's very strict yeah. in Brandon about what you can do on the bus. But a new poll is telling us that only 18% of Winnipeggers feel very safe on the bus at night. That's a startling number. It is, but, you know, when you think about everything that's been going on, you know, uh, the tragedy that happened out by the U of M uh, several weeks ago, we've been hearing since that some transit drivers have been assaulted. You know, there's talk of one transit driver was spit at. You don't hear a lot about passengers themselves being assaulted, but... uh, so I just went out there uh, along with uh, a couple other people, and we just started asking uh, transit riders. Um, one of the things I should point out, this survey was done by Probe Research. It finds 64% of those responding believe a dedicated transit police force is needed. So we just asked people, is that a good idea? Well, as a transit user, I think the idea of having police like... Uh police officer on the bus, especially at night, definitely a great idea. Do you feel safer riding a bus during the day as opposed to, let's say, if you were getting on a bus at, uh, at night? Uh, definitely safer during the day instead of the night. Would you feel safe getting on a bus uh, at night? Probably not. Why is that? Because there's people that get on there that you don't know. Would you like to see, some people have said transit should have its own police force. Like there'd be a police officer on a transit bus, uh, like particularly at night. Yeah, that would keep us more safe. I take my clients to and from different areas of the city, and um, it would just be a safer place for them. Especially for uh, late night, night shifts or whatever. But yeah, I don't ride the bus at night though. If you did have to take a bus at that time, would you feel safe? Maybe not. Well, not everybody thinks uh, we have to go all the way and have a an actual transit police force where, you know, a, a, an officer is going to ride on every bus. Anytime there's ever been a problem on the bus, usually the bus driver just stops and then the person will have to get out or the bus driver will stop and, not, and refuse to, to keep going. So that seemed to, it seems to have worked so far. So despite all of that, gentlemen, uh, the same poll found that, uh, found that 93% of transit users still feel safe riding the bus. So the news is not all bad. So, Kalina, you had started to say that you, uh, was it a few weeks ago where you oh, took a bus? Yeah. Now, did you just take the bus because you wanted to see or? No, well, I had to go downtown. Okay. Right? And it was, a, I was, I was listening to CJOB and they said the traffic downtown is really a mess, right? It was after 3.30. Yeah. So I just wouldn't be able to find an easy parking. I just thought, I'm going to get on the bus. I haven't been on the bus in, in a few years. Yeah. So I went from Charleswood. I got the Charleswood Express right downtown, dumped me off by the library, pretty much straight through, had a paper, read the paper, <laughs> nice ride. It just almost, you know, got me there lickety split, uh, letting somebody else do the driving. It was wonderful. I'm going to start riding the bus, or as we call him, Transit Tom. Transit Clay in the studio with us, Clay Young, 680CJOB's own. Ryan just texted us and says, Winnipeg Transit, he knows it as the old 47 coupe, i.e. 47 seats. 
I didn't know that there were 47 seats. I hadn't heard that seats. one either. Oh, I didn't that's know a good that one. one. I knew 47 seats until the low floor buses came in, but that's all yeah. transit industry jargon. But yeah, 47 was kind of the old configuration. And one of the great Winnipeg-isms ties to a transit bus. You know, if a guy has got lots of muscles, mm-hmm. he's ripped like mm-hmm. a North End bus seat. Have you ever heard <laughs> oh, that one? Oh, no, I haven't heard that one either. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Really? He's ripped like a North End bus seat. (laughs) I'll remember that one. Well, Clay, you raise an interesting point, though, because I know that uh, I don't take the bus all that much anymore. I mean, it's a 10-minute ride for me, or and if I don't drive, then I walk to work. But uh, the odd time that I do have to take the bus, if I'm going out for the evening and I know that I want to not have to drive home, I'll just take the bus there and usually cab home. But it's it is it's relaxing to not have to to worry about the driving, particularly on a on a winter day where mm-hmm. the, the conditions might be a little treacherous. Mm-hmm. It, then it's that <laughs> then it's the good uh, driver of Winnipeg Transit's problem. It's not my problem. So yeah. I kind of enjoy that being able to just sit there with a paper. I or re- I was even going to put that on Facebook. Hadn't been on Winnipeg Transit in years. Took a bus ride into downtown. It was wonderful. Highly endorse it. But wait, what time of day was that? You, you said 3.30? Uh, yeah, it was after 3.30. Okay. And, um, you know, driving into rush hour. Actually, the rush hour is coming back the other way. But it it got me there in no time. Awesome. Yeah. The Clay Man joining us in studio. Clay Young, thank you very much. Global News is Clay Young. Just got a text message here that says Clay is hot. Clay is hot? <laughs> Maybe we're going to see Clay Young's picture on the side of some buses. Oh. Ride with me, Clay Young. <laughs> with a great idea. Now I'm embarrassed and I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye, Clay. Clay Young, our very own Global News, 680 CJOB's Clay Young. We're so glad to have him back in the building. Such a bundle of energy, right? Yep. You, you know, there are certain individuals, when you bring them back into the fold, or you bring them into a fold in the first place, just are a spark plug. And, and Clay is absolutely one of those people. So, so great to... Uh, Hear his voice back on the airways. Hopefully he doesn't bring a, too much mayhem with him, but I suspect that we'll have to deal with a little bit of that along the way. Hopefully some chaos as well. How many times have I apologized to you on air this week? I don't know, once. Okay, well, I'm going to do it again. Thank you for <laughs> okay. CYAing or CMAing on that one. Uh, just getting a lot of text messages and emails right now on our first hour of conversation and I just want to give out the clinic crisis line number because several people have very honestly and bravely texted us at 780-6868 and asked for the number. You may not be in a situation to do so. Mm-hmm. If you're battling with depression, you're having dark thoughts, the clinic crisis line, it's available 24-7, 204 786 Six. There's a website, reasontolive.ca, and the suicide prevention line and support line is toll free from wherever you are, 877 453 7170. That's suicide prevention number one more time, 877 435 7170. And as Charles said, it's 90% of the battle is just saying it out loud acknowledging that you need help, reaching out and letting someone in to help you do just that, to help you understand what you're going through and and give you some direction because the help is available. 786-8686 is the clinic crisis line. 
One more time, the Manitoba suicide prevention number is 877-435-7170 and their website www.reasontolive.ca. You, can you give me a, a bit of an education here, Greg? You mentioned this, uh, the Kicking Horse Pass. Yeah, Kicking Horse Pass is uh, between Banff and Golden, British Columbia. Okay. So it's through the Rocky Mountains. That's how you, that's how you traverse the, the first set of uh, Rocky Mountains before Rogers Pass. People may have heard of Rogers Pass on the Trans-Canada Highway. That's through the Selkirk Mountains, gets you into, the, into uh, Revelstoke. Uh, if you're coming from the east to the west, and uh, yeah, it's a a windy road with lots of opportunities to. So is this like disappear? A, is it like a traditional kind of scary thing you might see in a movie where they're driving through the mountains in a thunderstorm and it's winding and you? Yeah, you don't go back and forth up, uh, you know, but you are definitely on the outside and of a mountain and a, a mountain range and climbing and and then you kind of go into golden bc i don't know what the climb is but yeah it's uh, if you've never done it before it's certainly a little bit nerve-wracking okay without question you mentioned revelstoke they make good uh spiced whiskey um thanks for sharing your story by the way greg i didn't mean to i just thought i'd slide that joke in there not to try to make light of no that's of, uh, that's hey it's all good uh situation but it was uh because i've never heard that full story you've spoken about it sort of in i don't want to say in passing but you've kind of given a snapshot here sure a piece there so i've never heard the full story and uh, i appreciate it and clearly our listeners are appreciating it as well uh garth for example just texted us saying great story from charles and greg uh re-evaluation to what i've been going through since a major accident in 2014 so garth thank you for reaching out to us. Thank you for sharing, and uh, we're glad to hear that this uh, conversation has uh, maybe provided you with a little bit of help. Any any bit of help, I would hope, is uh, is better than nothing. And uh, also, just to reiterate, you are not alone. If you feel like you're, you're alone, don't. Reach out, and um, sometimes it's hard to, to tell someone that you care about what you're going through. And if you don't want to burden someone that you care about with it, call one of these crisis lines. Don't hesitate to call them. That's what they're there for. They've got trained professionals on the other end of the line. They know they're not going to belittle your story. They're going to listen. They're going to open openly listen with, with their ears wide open. 204-786-8686. That's the clinic crisis line. And if you are... If you're suicidal in any way or having thoughts of taking your own life, 877-435-7170, reasontolive.ca. Sometimes people feel a little bit more comfortable getting information anonymously, but just know you're not alone. You may be dealing with a situation that feels as though you might be the only one in that boat presently, Uh, but that's why I share my story. Because I can be in a room of 200 people or less and share my story and inevitably someone will come after I've given my presentation, they'll take me aside and they'll say that was my story or that was my brother or that was my sister. That was someone that I cared about deeply. 
And just knowing that there's somebody there for you going through the same thing sometimes is enough inspiration for you to make sure you uh, look after yourself. want to take a moment to congratulate Sonia Thiessen. Is it Thiessen or Thiessen? Thiessen. Sonia Thiessen, congratulations. You have qualified for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyaway to Predator Ridge contest. This is a round-trip airfare for two. Two nights accommodation at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. $250 resort credit towards Kerr Spa treatments and or food and beverage at Sparkling Hill Resort and Spa. You get a resort tour, access to the sauna and pools, a private sommelier-led tour, followed by a three-course wine-paired lunch in the vineyard at Mission Hill Family Estate and a bottle of wine as a welcome gift upon arrival at Mission Hill Family Estate. A welcome wine tasting in the Hockey Canada cabin at Predator Ridge for two. Two nights accommodation in a peregrine cottage at Predator Ridge. One Hockey Canada welcome gift when you get to Predator Ridge. You get a one-hour private golf lesson with a former LPGA player, A.J. Ethorn, or uh, 2016 PGA of BC Teacher of the Year, Brody Carl. You get a round of golf at Predator Ridge, and you get some après. Did I say that right? Après. Sure did. Ski after, logo wear. After ski logo wear from Big White. That's right. And this is it. So, so once again, Sonia Thiessen has qualified for the Okanagan Bucket List Flyaway to Predator Ridge Contest. The grand prize winner is going to be determined on April 28th. You can get more information at cjob.com, including how to register, and your next chance to win is coming up this afternoon at 5.15 on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, or as I like to say, Julie Buckingham. We were talking yesterday, Greg, about Netflix and 13 Reasons Why, which ties... Very much into the, the the more the serious conversation we were having today, but on a different note, I wanted to point this out. Netflix, is, it would seem, is on the verge of surpassing a subscriber's milestone. A lot of people watching Stranger Things, Orange is the New Black, and the rest of Netflix's offerings. The company says this weekend it'll hit 100 million subscribers worldwide. While that's an impressive milestone, subscriber growth didn't quite meet the benchmarks Wall Street was hoping for, and the stock was off significantly Tuesday. But all that money the streaming service threw at Dave Chappelle and Adam Sandler seems to be paying off. Surprise, it's me. Netflix says the Chappelle stand-up specials it debuted last month were its most watched ever. You can't stop a shooting star. And subscribers have watched 500 million hours worth of Sandler's movies on the service. Jason Nathan's in ABC News, Hollywood. <laughs> 500 million hours of Sandler? No, What is word. wrong with people? <laughs> that is, you know, that's an undeniably <laughs> large waste of time. Uh, Adam Sandler has some funny bits, but Let's be realistic. 500 million hours worth of Adam Sandler. His as best a planet, stuff is we can, behind him. Yeah, we can do much better as a planet, I believe. Although I do I do still enjoy some Toll Booth Willie. I'm coming out of the booth! <laughs> <laughs> that's going way back, Brett. That's about 25 years ago. I think that's about all I can repeat from that sketch. That's about it. Also, some I seem to recall something about a shampoo bottle. It's 227. Global News is up next. I think I might have promised you Tina Keeper and Len carry you in this time slot. 24 hours from now, with any luck at all, they will be here. I apologize. My first day with my new calendar, Brett McGarry. The 18th <laughs> is today. The 19th is tomorrow. Whoops. 
Whoops. That happens from time to time in this business. So I apologize if you've been sitting patiently waiting to hear from the actor who plays Tom Selleck's dad on Blue Bloods. I don't even know the name of his character. Isn't that terrible? I should know the name of that. My father-in-law is going to be very upset with me. That's his favorite TV show, bar none. Really? And so when I told him Len Cario is going to be on, he was absolutely thrilled. So, Dad... You'll have to wait till tomorrow to hear <laughs> Len Carriou and a former MP representing Churchill. And of course, she's an advocate for First Nations and, and uh, Aboriginal rights in our country and a, an acclaimed actor herself, uh, Tina Keeper. Uh, they're, they're celebrating uh, Canada's 150th birthday with a special uh, presentation of the movie that was filmed here in Winnipeg, Love Sick. And that'll take place tomorrow night at the Centennial Concert Hall. So we'll have much more details uh, for you uh, tomorrow when uh, Len and Tina join us then. So once again, I apologize for the sudden, if not abrupt, change to our programming plans. But as usual, we have a backup. We are always prepared for such situations. Last night, four overtime games in the NHL playoffs as the NHL has a night for the ages, this uh, from Kevin Allen, the USA Today, because Brett, you said to me, has that ever happened before? Four overtime games in one night? And I said, I actually don't know. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up. Sure enough, it's happened two other times. And the last time it happened was 32 years ago. Good heavens. Is that 1985? Yeah. Oh, my word. Because I said to you, I said (laughs) the Jets would have been playing the Calgary Flames at that time. So I did a little bit of digging. And sure enough, April 10th, 1985, the Philadelphia Flyers beat the Rangers 5-4 in overtime. The Capitals beat the Islanders 4-3. Edmonton beat the Los Angeles Kings 3-2. And the Winnipeg Jets defeated the Calgary Flames 5-4. Mm. on this day in 1985, the last time there were four overtime games. Uh, well, it's not this day, April 10th. See, I'm getting the dates mixed up all over the place. Uh, that was the last time that happened, April 10th, 1985. Were you watching any of these ice hockey contests last night? I did night? my best to juggle around and to see as much of the hockey as I could. I have a hard time staying awake past 10 o'clock during the week. So uh, I missed uh, Calgary. Uh, what a heartbreaking game for them to be up 4-1 to one and then to to fall 5-4 in oh. overtime. And But I certainly did see the Ottawa game. I saw them score in overtime and then Toronto uh, beating Washington. And then the other game I did not see in Nashville beat Chicago 3-2. to two. Uh the Leafs are up two games to one. All three of those games between Washington and the Maple Leafs have, in fact, gone to overtime. It's the number one team in the league, the President's Trophy winner, Capitals against Toronto, who are the lowest playoff, lowest seed playoff team in the Eastern Conference. So the young guns in Toronto doing their best to pull off what would be a major upset in the National Hockey League playoffs. And, of course, uh, the center of the universe is enjoying that immensely. <laughs> and our own Matt Cardi, who's reveling in uh, the fact that the Maple Leafs are doing very well right his, now. His Brampton Maple Leafs. Yeah, his Brampton. Well, you know, you got to take it easy on those guys from southern Ontario. It's a metro area. It's a, yeah. the GTA, man. It's the GTA. <laughs> he may not live in the 416, but he's still, you know, he's still repping the T dot in, in some 
forum or another. Hey, we were talking <laughs> about esports and this new esports station that's coming to Shaw. Yes. This came across the newswire today. Esports to be a medal event at the 2022 Asian Games. Interesting. This means they have to be uh, one step closer to becoming a sport in the Olympics, perhaps? Maybe. That's uh, just looking ahead here. Okay. Let's just read you some of these details. This is from theguardian.com from uh, Brian Armin Graham. Esports will be an official medal sport at the 2022 Asian Games in China in the boldest step yet toward mainstream recognition of competitive gaming. The Olympic Council of Asia, or OCA, announced a partnership yesterday, Monday, with Ali Sports, the sports arm of Chinese online retail giant Alibaba, to introduce esports as a demonstration sport at next year's games in Indonesia with full-fledged inclusion in the official sporting program at the Hangzhou Games in 2022. Isn't that something? The OCA says the decision reflects the rapid development and popularity of this new form of sports participation among the youth. Now, the Asian Games, which are recognized by the IOC, are billed as the world's second largest multi-sport event after the Olympics. 45 national delegations, about 10,000 athletes, took part in the most recent games in South Korea three years ago. And just looking further ahead to this, the OCA, or no, pardon me, the uh, the IESF, or International Esports Federation, is one of two organizations, along with the British government-backed International E-Games Committee, that submitted a request to the IOC last year to informa- obtain information on how to gain inclusion for esports in the Olympic program. So their steps are being taken to make esports part of the Olympics, which is really interesting, and it's, it's, this is a, a sign of just how dramatically quickly our world can change sometimes because this is one of those things that I think kind of happened under a lot of people's noses, right? It's sort of a, a blink and you miss it. It's been big for a number of years for a certain uh, sub sort of pocket of the population very quietly but at the same time very quickly gaining popularity. I mean, they're filling stadiums to watch these things and these athletes – as we talked about, often these athletes, these esport athletes, often retire by the time they hit their mid twenties because they're too old. Their their hand and eye coordination is slowing down. I guess by the time you hit twenty five, it's absolutely crazy. More than forty thousand. You're exactly right. The more than forty thousand people attended the 2014 League of Legends World Championship Finals in Seoul. Uh, in 2014, competitive gaming now draws tens of millions of spectators to online platforms and real-world venues, including New York's Madison Square Garden, the Staples Center in Los Angeles, and the MGN Grand Garden Arena on the Las Vegas Strip. It's crazy. And you, there's a good chance if you have if you have kids who are, I don't know, <laughs> around 10 years old, uh-huh. there's a good chance that they have subscribed to a number of channels on YouTube where they either get tutorials or they simply watch people play video games. That they do. There are websites where you can go, I think one of them is called Twitch, where you can just go and watch people play video games. And actually there was another one that we talked about and it had to do with that channel that's coming to Shaw, where you sign up and you just go and watch people play video games. So it's it's... I guess it's in that sense, it's not really all that different. Is it PewDiePie, the world's number one YouTuber, as the kids call them, a YouTuber? Uh, he puts out 
video games, uh, videos of him playing video games and how to beat them and uh, little fun things. He has more subscribers, more views than any other person. And I think he makes something like uh, 12 or $20 million a year. Yeah, they, these the most successful YouTubers make a lot of money. So that's probably why if uh, your kid's in grade four or whatever, half of them want to be YouTubers. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I don't think there'll be any video game experts uh, in the 2017 Manitoba Hockey uh, Hall of Fame class, but maybe there'll be a, a EA Sports uh, aficionado maybe in the 2057 <laughs> class of the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, the 2017 class was announced earlier today in 680 CGOB's. Kelly Moore says the 17 individual or team inductees are about as diverse a collection as you could put together from our province. From a turn-of-the-century pro in Barney Holden, who scored the first goal in the first-ever Pro Hockey League game way back on December 9th of 1904 in Pittsburgh, to the baby of the group, soon-to-be 38-year-old Jennifer Botterill, a three-time Olympic gold medalist with the Canadian women's hockey team. And there is plenty in between. Ex-Canadian National and Allen Cup champ Ross Park from River Heights, Lou Morrison, who played junior with Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach in Flin Flon, before suiting up with Philadelphia, Atlanta, Washington, and Pittsburgh in the NHL. Ex-Chicago Blackhawk goaltender Murray Bannerman. Lori Boschman, who spent more than half of his 15-year NHL career as a Winnipeg Jet. And Fox Warren's Patty Falloon, the number two overall pick in the 1991 NHL draft by San Jose after a sensational junior career in Spokane. I was very fortunate, uh, you know, throughout my whole uh, upbringing and and to have an opportunity and 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 my career really. like from when I went left home to play junior I went to a family in Spokane that just took me in like one of their own and I was drafted and I was my first uh, roommate was Brian Lawton in in, in uh, San Jose and my first roommate on the road was Dougie Wilson I mean I played with I played with several guys that are well soon to be hall are going to be hall of famers maybe and general managers in the league so. I don't know. I think everything just happens as meant to be. I don't regret anything. I don't look back and say I wish I would have tweaked anything. I'm just very, very proud to be here today. As was referee Robert Martell, who worked more than 1,000 NHL games prior to retiring just a little over a year ago and was selected as an official. Former CJOB primetime sports host and news director Vic Grant of Winnipeg Tribune fame gets the nod in the media category. Ex-CJOB sales rep Jimmy Benzelock in the players category after suiting up for the Quebec Nordiques of the WHA. The Quartet of Builders features the likes of current Washington Capitals coach Barry Trotz, one of the founders of the Hall, and its president for more than a decade, Gary Cribs. Barry Bonney, who coached more than a thousand games in the Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League with the team he founded in 1981, the River East Royal Knights. And Michael Gobati, who stepped up to the plate in 1972 and delivered a check for $250,000 from the family business to keep the then WHA Jets alive. I got a phone call from a friend of mine that the uh, Jets were having a meeting in the old arena downstairs, I think of the Molson's Lounge, I'm not sure, and there was about 30 or 40 people there, and they said if they didn't raise X amount of money by tomorrow at noon, the next day, they couldn't meet the payroll and the Jets were going to fold that day. So they were asking for volunteers to put up funds. I put up my hand, I looked around, 
there was nobody else there. So next day I cut him a check for 250000 to save the team. Great move. I'm very happy I did it. And then a couple of weeks later, we realized that I needed a lot more money than that. So I, we, we formed uh, my Shankros, myself, John Chansky, Bobby Hull, late Bob Graham. We think of $250,000 now. And for a lot of people, it's a considerable amount of money. But in 1972, that was a huge, huge investment. Today's fund, that's about $2 million, I would think, 10 oh. times, I would think. But, you know, my, my family, my dad and I, and we're all great hockey fans. And I... The 250, when I got to the office and told my father what I did, he looked at me and said, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, maybe he was a little cuckoo, but also a Manitoba Hockey Hall of Famer. We have the complete list of inductees at cjob.com. The official dinner and induction ceremony is coming up Saturday, October 7th at Canada Inn's Polo Park. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that very much. Uh, and listening to Michael Gabotti's story there, a lot of people don't realize how many times the Winnipeg Jets just about folded or were sold to, to go somewhere else. It wasn't just in 1995, 1996, when they eventually moved to Phoenix. There were a couple other uh, forks in the road where the Jets could have either just closed up shop or been sold to go elsewhere. And in listening to Michael Gabotti, I remember that when I was younger, I used to once in a while get to sit in Steve Arsalis' seats, uh, the owner of Ray and Jerry's. My first job was at Fingers, <laughs> which uh, no longer exists, but Steve owned Fingers. And every once in a while, I would get to sit in, in Steve's seats with my girlfriend at the time and her dad, who worked in the kitchen, who was a cook at Ray and Jerry's. And sitting right beside me from time to time was either Pearl McGonagall the former uh, lieutenant, lieutenant governor of Manitoba, and or Michael Gabotti, who at one time owned the Jets. So it was uh, kind of a neat place to sit, without question. But the, the stories about how often and how many times the Jets uh, almost became another city's franchise or simply folded, uh, the, the list is, is longer than, than we realize. It is 2.48 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Greg. He's Brett. And uh, we talked about during the break exactly what we we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. And I completely forgot what you said we were going to discuss. Transit. We got, we've been talking about this transit survey that says that most people feel safe on the bus, but only one in five feel very safe on the bus at night. And the survey also covered that the majority of people would be okay with seeing a dedicated transit police force on transit buses. That's from Probe Research. They did this poll and they found 64% of Winnipeggers believe a transit police force is required. Now, regarding the passengers feeling safe or very safe, that triggered a response from Tracy, who reached out to me. Email at brett at cjob.com. I don't believe that the rider safety is the big concern. It's the driver safety. They have absolutely nowhere to go if someone wants to attack them. The cabs in the city provide more safety for their drivers. I don't understand why there isn't some type of shielding for the bus drivers. End of email from Tracy. Tracy, thank you for the note. I know that this has been discussed before. The cost, I think, is it was it wasn't that one of the, the well, things the getting in the way? Well, the cost is one thing, and it's the logistics because the current configuration of the of a transit bus doesn't allow necessarily for an exit. 
for the driver on the inside of the shield. Say they're in a situation where they are either in danger or maybe they feel like they need to get out of that protected area. There's no way for them to get out directly from the, we'll call it the cockpit for the lack of, a, or operator's area. Yeah. And there's no door or window or anything that really that they can easily climb out of. So that's that's part of the logistical concern in terms of uh, maybe being trapped. You know, if you're in an accident or something like that, once you've segregated that area, maybe it becomes somewhat permanently segregated or in a malfunction situation with the shield then uh, the drivers would be trapped. So the, there's more to it than simply installing the shield. You have to make sure kind of that there's a secondary way out or egress, as they call it, a secondary way out for the driver in a, in a situation like that where they're feeling threatened and or there's a, an accident and that shield is inoperable. They have to be able to get out of that driver area safely. Here's another text from John at 204-780-6868. And it's probably what a lot of people are thinking where will the money come from for bus police? Increase cost to $5 and use extra money for police. And it's a it's a it's a good point whether you agree with it or not, do we need police on transit buses specifically a dedicated police force? Where would that money come from? I don't know. In the, in the immediate future, I don't know. I think that I I kind of like the idea of having at the very least police on transit buses at night because you were the passengers who took part in this probe research survey said they feel night they feel safe in general but at night only one in five said they feel very safe so that means that they feel kind of safe at you night you have to wonder if that affects ridership which means does that affect revenue mm-hmm. are people not using the bus would they use it more at night if they were feeling safe and that's where politicians come in to make priorities and to create priorities and does it mean either a fare increase or a tax increase or does it mean cutting some other service somewhere else that politicians or the public deem less necessary uh, those are the choices that we face as a community every time a recommendation like this comes forward where it means spending more money. It, it's a choice that we need to make. And this is just coming in, by the way, from Donald Trump, no. who has put Canada on notice that he is taking aim at its much-coveted supply management system that protects the dairy industry. Trump leveled the threat during an event at a Wisconsin factory where he unveiled his Buy American, Hire American executive order He says he will seek fair trade with all of America's trading partners, quote, and that includes Canada. Trump says unfair things have happened in Canada to U.S. dairy farmers. We'll have more on this throughout the afternoon on 680 CJOB. 308 on this Tuesday afternoon, 6 degrees. That sun seems to be becoming a factor as we make our way towards the drive, I don't know if you have your sunglasses in your car, Brett McGarry. Did you walk again today? No, I drove. You drove. I slept in. No, well, that's all right. Lazy. I'm a lazy person. Is, are sunglasses part of the protocol for you? Do you keep sunglasses in in the car somewhere just in case? I don't keep them in the car. Usually, I I should though. 
because I, I either wear them when I leave or I don't. So I, I wear them out or they're sitting on my fridge, and I believe they're sitting on my fridge at the moment. Well, you're really keeping the sun out of your eyes sitting up there on the on the refrigerator, buddy. No, no, they're not. Not, not in any way. Uh, the reason I bring up driving, of course, uh, you just had traffic and weather together. We'll have traffic and weather together in just a few more minutes here on 680 CJOB. CAA has revealed its worst roads campaign results, and it's official Matt Cardi drove it. We saw the video. I avoid it because I know how horrible it is. Chevrier Boulevard has been voted as Winnipeg's worst road, CAA Manitoba, releasing the results of their sixth annual campaign. Just over 8,400 votes were cast for 712 different roads in the province. I have never, I don't know, well, no, that's not true. Not never, but I believe I have maybe used this road once or twice in my life because that's it's just never been part of my my day-to-day or even month-to-month travels. I had a girlfriend who lived sort of in that area on Pembina Highway near Chevrier, but I never had to use Chevrier to get there. So, so it wasn't the source of the breakup, the fact no. that you had to use Chevrier Boulevard? No. <laughs> Breaking suspension <laughs> since 2012 and ruining relationships since uh, 2013. Chevrier, you can always count on us. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. No, okay. but uh, I just looking at these pictures and seeing the video that Matt went out and got, it's sort of shocking. And it it does remind me though of a road that I used to travel quite a bit. And this maybe wasn't in maybe you are not familiar with this, Greg, but Ravelston Avenue West, west of Plessy's, where it used to be all gravel for basically my whole life was brutal. It was just a washboard that you would have to slow down to almost a crawl at times or before I think they finally did something about it and now they've closed it off. Yeah, because uh, that's where they had the recycling center was close to there. You would go and if you had larger cardboard items and stuff, I would load them up into my truck and take them because you couldn't fit them into the wheeled bins or whatever. But now they've moved that center to... Ah, where is it? What's the dead end? What's that road that runs parallel south of the rail line and parallel to Nairn? South? Oh, the... Yeah, I know the... The mushroom plant is there, and it runs alongside... Oh, isn't that terrible? Is it... Does it start with a... (laughs) Is it Mission? It is Mission. Thank you. Mission and... Uh, it's not Molson anymore. What is it south of Panet region? Panet yes. and Mission. There you go. So if you want to take all your recyclables there, that didn't take us very long at all to get to that. <laughs> uh, the other roads in Winnipeg. Let's let's just go to list and things that we can read and not have to recall. Empress got number two, and that's going to be fixed at least partially uh, this year. And next, Pembina Highway, Fermore Avenue, Saskatchewan Avenue, McGilvery Boulevard. Henlow Bay. I have no idea where Henlow Bay is. It's in Oak Bank. It's in Oak Bank? Yeah, apparently. Hmm. What this list says. Sherwin Road. That is a crap road. There's no doubt about that. And St. James Street. St. James is good and bad because there's second. kind of a dividing line I'm there. sorry. I'm looking at the... I, I see what I've done here. What have you done? Uh, I, I, I skipped into the, the Manitoba column. Oh, there's, okay. There's two columns here. Yes. See? So we can't even count on things that we can read. <laughs> I read this wrong. It's not McCreary Road. Bay is not Oak Bank. Okay. St. James is uh, also the most improved road. So I, I don't know. Uh, our roads are typically not very good, but they're, I think they're getting better. Don't you think they're getting better? 
Henlo Bay is yeah. just off of Skirfield. It's actually, I think, sort of in that same general vicinity. Yeah, there it, it's right beside Chevrier. You go to Chevrier, it it's essentially sort of runs parallel almost. Well, it sounds as though the city has some work to do in that part of the city. Yeah, just off of Skirfield by the <laughs> Shaw Building. As for our, our roads getting better, I think yes and no. I think so. it's, it, it's this cycle where some roads seem to be getting better and then other roads seem to be getting worse and it really this this year has been a really bad one although the last few winters it seems like almost every winter now oh it's been a really bad one because we had that one winter where everything was where it was so cold and then we had lots of precipitation and now it it melted and got cold again and melted and got cold every year it's the same thing i know that just in my area there is a turn that i often make harrow and grosvenor and you have to take it very carefully because there isn't just one pothole it's a series that are all it's like Outst- someone dropped a bomb on it. outstanding it's almost as though someone's trying to get your money out of your pocket for a new suspension or something like that yeah could yeah, be you know i don't know uh so that's uh you can get the complete list at cgob.com i don't think any of these will Surprise anyone. I don't know where Faulkner is. Do you know where Faulkner is? Faulkner. That's the worst road outside of Winnipeg. Provincial oh, Road yes. 239. Yeah, so that one, I just read that in the 3 o'clock news. So that is uh, in the northwest interlake between Highway 6 and Lake Manitoba. Well, it's a good geography lesson, if nothing else. <laughs> Provincial Road 353, Brookdale. I think that's out near Nipawa, Minidosa. Dougald Road in Anola is bad. No kidding. Uh, Main Street South, Carmen, Main Street South in Minidosa. I can vouch for that one as being lousy. Uh, Manitoba 20, Okra. Okra? 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 I don't know. I'm not sure either. Provincial Road 307 in Oak Bank. Uh, Provincial Road 450 in Goodlands. Mountain Avenue in Nipawa and Provincial Road 280 in Gimli. Gillum. Oh, did I say Gimli? I, I read Gillum and I said Gimli. Okay, neither of us can read either today, I guess. Here's a, you know what? It's another road, and I know this isn't a road. It's those sort of exit roads out of the Grant Park Shopping Center. Oh, the, the service <laughs> road? Yeah. The frontage road? I've, i got to tell you a story about frontage oh. road when we come back. Okay, I'll just very quickly say about Grant Park, one of the, one of the happiest things about winter for me... Winter's arrival, at least. It's always a sad time when winter shows up. But when it started to snow, it filled in all the potholes. That is definitely true. <laughs> I wonder if that road is more of a private road or if the city actually owns that. I wonder if the mall owns it or the city owns it. I wonder. We That's might have to ask about that. Well, for most, if you know who owns that road in front of the Grant Park Shopping Center... to that lets you That service road, frontage road, that lets you get in and out of the mall sort of... Who owns it? 204-780-6868. Let us know. Traffic and weather together is up next. 318, well, 319 now on a Tuesday afternoon. I've been in some strange arguments with friends over the years, but the strangest and maybe the longest living argument is um, one that took place in Minneapolis, Bloomington, Minnesota, to be specific. Okay. I was there with my buddy Jared. He lives in Calgary now. Jared and I have been uh, best buds for going on 30 years now. And uh, we were in Detroit Lakes for the weekend, and it was raining and stuff. And we decided, you know what, let's go to the Twin Cities. Twins are playing. Let's go check out a ball game. This Detroit Lakes thing is not our, our scene. So we drive down there, and... 
he's trying to find a specific hotel that he'd stayed at a few weeks before, and he's having a hard time. He keeps ducking in and out of these service roads. Finally, I said to him, I said, are you looking for somewhere in particular, Jared? He's like, yeah, I'm looking for this quality inn. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. And he goes, well, I'm sure it was on Frontage Road. (laughs) I'm like, what? Okay. Well, I'm sure it's on Frontage Road. And we keep seeing signs for Frontage Road. I'm like, Jared, I know you're proud, Manitoban. And if you like to put the French accent on stuff where it doesn't belong, Frontage is Frontage Road, and it's a generic name for the road that runs parallel to the interstate. <laughs> so there's not just one Frontage Road in Bloomington. There's like a dozen of them. <laughs> and he's looking for the quality in on Frontage Road. I still bug him about that 30 years later. Did you ever find it? Oh, yeah, we found it. So what was the actual address of this place? It doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) It was way before Google Maps. I don't even know if we had a map. We just, you know, kind of followed our nose. It was before West, uh, West Edmonton, before the Mall of America opened. So there weren't that many motels and hotels along that stretch of, uh, I guess it's I-494, is it 694 that goes east and west uh, in Bloomington. But yeah, we're still looking for that hotel on Frontage Road. <laughs> uh, by the way, while we have a minute here, uh, you know, I'm a golf fan, just in case you're a golf fan. Oh, yes. I want to let you know that Mars Sandhills Golf Course is opening Saturday, this upcoming Saturday. Mars uh, Sand Hills is a neat course just northeast of Winnipeg. And Netley Creek is opening on Friday. That's also off an interesting course on, uh, I think it's between highways 8 and 9. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, on the way up to Lake Winnipeg. Super. Actually, there are a couple holes that I really, really like at that course. What do you think of this story about John Bloomberg not being open this year in all likelihood? I mean, I think a lot of us cut our teeth Golfing at Bloomberg or Tuxedo, one of the two, maybe Kildonan, right? One of the city-owned courses. And, of course, it hasn't been run by the city for a few years now. But to imagine that, that might be the end of an era. 27 holes of golf out there as well. We'll get into that, actually, in a few moments. We do need to pause for traffic, weather, and sports with the Clayman. All up next. Before we give our prizes away, just got to quickly thank one Kelly Moore, saving the day once again. He's, uh, That's all he does around here is save the day. <laughs> He's like Superman. Yeah, he saved, uh, saved, uh, the, saved the day from a couple of fools who just sort of blindly walked out of the studio and... Well, you needed water and I needed a chocolate bar. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. what are you going to do? But we normally I wait until after I've thrown the traffic and then gone into sports. Decided yeah, to just... Nobody noticed yeah. it until you just said it out loud. So I know. It's still funny, though. I know. You're so honest. That's why I love you so much. I'm proud of myself, too. But thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it very much. And uh, to everyone in the newsroom laughing, you guys can all... Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to let D. Snyder say it nice. He's got... He's got it. <laughs> The way to say it that I, he says it a bit more eloquently than okay, me. Okay, let's see we what have, he has to say. We have two beat the box office tickets to Snake Oil Gets Twisted, which features Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister. You're gonna burn in hell. Nice wholesome music. Monday, June 26th at the Burton Cummings Theater. Snake Oil, by the way, is described as the ultimate theatrical tribute 
to rock's biggest stars. Tickets go on sale Friday morning, but we've got two tickets to give away right now. And I want to make sure that this goes to a hair metal fan. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little concerned <laughs> that I've made this too difficult, but I think if you know the song, then you should know the way that it begins. Can you name this song and the band? I'm going to turn off the Twisted Sister so you can hear this clean. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Can you name the song and the yeah, band? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You betcha! I, I should have asked you. I asked one of my other colleagues, and he oh, said that's, no. That's, if, if you got, have any hair metal knowledge, that's a slam dunk. That's a Michael Jordan slam dunk taken off from the foul line slam dunk. That's what that is. Look at that. The phone lines have lit up. McGarry. Right. You, you, well, you. I had it. See, I had two versions of it. Okay. I had a shorter version, and I'll see if I can... If I can do the edit on the fly here, okay, and make it here, I'll just cut this off and see what happens. Okay, let's see what you do. All right, all right. So I had, I think I had this originally. No, that might even be too much. Let's try this again. That would, that's what I originally. I had. don't think I would have got it from that. You don't think you would have gotten it? No, from that? but you know, now I know what it is, so <laughs> I can't say for sure. Okay, but that's a great, that's a great one. I love it. You, we are definitely getting the tickets. In the hands of someone that deserves it, based on uh, figuring out what clip that is. 204-780-60. How long is that, by the way? Was it less than a second? Uh, it is 1.1 seconds, surprisingly. One more time? Uh, oh, wait. 0 0.07. Pardon there me. we go. I didn't think... Yeah, 0 0.07. I want to hear the whole song. <laughs> 204-780-6868. While Jeff Fortier is tending to that in Master Control, you mentioned John Bloomberg. Yeah. As a course is... that a lot of people have cut their teeth upon. Mm -hmm. I have played that course exactly one time, and I want to say it was about five, six years ago. So this was sort of before I really began to appreciate the way a course is designed. Um, and I don't mean that as a knock. I actually got into an argument with somebody because I said, I don't like that course, and... I like this course better. And he said, well, do you like it better because do you think it's more fun or because you think it's actually a better course than Bloomberg? So I said, yes. And then he proceeded to give me his golf snob education as to why John Bloomberg is a better course based on the way it is designed than this other one that I was talking about. But regardless of the design, I thought the course was in garbage shape. Now, to be fair, in the defense of the course, it was early in the year. I think it was maybe the third week. The greens had just been aerated. It was in awful shape, and it had rained that day. But it was still, I just, I was, I found it not appealing at all. And I would be curious to go back and try it, but I can't. So. No, it looks like John Bloomberg is no more. Twenty, Like I mentioned, 27 holes of golf, right? Because it has the 18-hole course yep. and the 9-hole course. Lots of people would have played the 9-hole course maybe as one of the first courses that they ever played. I think I did. Might have been the 9-hole course with uh, one of my grandfathers back in the day. was probably one of the uh, very first, if not the first time I was ever out on a golf course. And you think about the size of that complex. And at the time, my grandfather, I, you know, he used to say it was one of the biggest in North America and it was a groundbreaking development and the fact that they had 27 holes and <laughs> la da 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 So in my head, it was, you know, John Bloomberg was kind of a big deal. Well, until I started golfing other places, and then I realized that, 
yeah, I get the history, I get the significance of it in terms of city history, but yeah, it was way down there on the list of places that I wanted to go. And a big part of it too, unfortunately, right, the city held on to it for too long. And so the concessions were terrible. The restaurant was way below average. And so the, your entire golf experience was shattered to a certain extent because it wasn't maintained properly from start to finish. Yep. You know, it felt as though you were spending that 30 bucks or whatever it was to go out and it kind of, the expectation was set and met from the time you went into the pro shop, into the restaurant to try and find somebody to buy something from. Can I buy this? Can I give somebody some money for this? And it would just translate out onto the course, although some spectacular holes definitely down by the river. But uh, to say that I'll miss John Bloomberg as a golf course, I would be lying to say that I will be. I'm hoping to finally get out this year. I know courses have been open for a couple of weeks. I'm finally hoping to go visit my pals over at Kingswood and LaSalle this Sunday, weather permitting, uh, the weather better cooperate. If it ends up nice on Saturday again and not nice on Sunday, you're going to hear an atomic bomb go off. That's my head exploding. You know, we don't write the forecast. We just read it. But did we ever botch the forecast this past past weekend? No idea. Saturday was going to be anywhere close to what it was going to be. Yes. And Friday even it was windy, but it turned out pretty nice afternoon. Uh, that would have been a tough golf day, but Saturday no, would have, what time? Saturday was perfect. It was 17, I think. To get um, I think it hit 21 at one point. Or oh maybe that goodness. was Friday. Friday, 21 maybe. And the humidity and everything. But yeah, it would have been a perfect morning Saturday. I think maybe what we do is like we did with the traffic and the weather throw. Yeah. Just about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I think maybe we just don't come on Friday <laughs> at all. Kelly can do our show from one till four and we can report from the golf course. <laughs> That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Should we run that by uh, yeah. management, see how that goes? <laughs> sure, let's do that. Okay, we'll do that during this next break. But before we get to our next traffic and weather segment, we just got to quickly congratulate our prize winner. And where did that go? Uh, John Davies is going to enjoy... Two tickets for Snake Oil Gets Twisted featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister happening Monday, June 26th at the Burton Cummings Theater because John Davies was correctly able to answer the question, can you name this song and the band? Greg knew it right away. The answer... Big R, Big A, Big Double T, Rat, Round and Round. Percy, I think, was the name of the lead singer. Could be. I think. I wasn't a well. I, I was a fan of Twisted Sister. I have the Stay Hungry album with Dee Snider holding, as Jeff Courier described it earlier, the Brontosaurus bone. <laughs> but uh, I was. I did. I, I kind of liked Rat. But hey, Jay also likes Rat at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, texting us saying it's Rat round and round. Brings back good memories. Thanks, bro. And Stephen thanks, Percy. Jay. Greg's got it. He likes the hair metal. We're going to we're gonna try to keep the trivia like this all week. Make sure hair metal fans are going to see Snake Oil Gets Twisted featuring Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. June 26th at the Burt. Tickets go on sale Friday morning. We have beat the box office tickets the rest of the week. It's Mackling and McGarry. Traffic and weather together is next. Want to talk about power bucks? We got a power buck right here. That's right. Julie Buckingham. Little buck. As they refer to me in the family. Little Buck. Well, there's old Buck. There's Mama Buck. There's Bucky. 
That's my younger brother. <laughs> okay. And you're a little buck. Many bucks. <laughs> Many bucks in the family. I wish <laughs> the there were bucks. I wish there was mega bucks or power bucks in the family. Yeah, mega bucks would be nice. Mega bucks would be great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll, we'll continue to work on that. I buy my tickets like everybody else does. Uh, Bucky? Is there? No, never mind. Buck Beat is another one. Really? Yes. One okay. of my first news directors. That's what he used to call me. Buck Beat. Richard Cloutier is here as well to te- help tee up the news. We have to ask Richard, what's the worst nickname you ever had thrust upon you? Lardass. <laughs> Who called you that? Your dad? <laughs> Without hesitation. Kenny McMullen. <laughs> yeah? Just yeah. like that? Lives in LaSalle. Yeah. I've called him out on Instagram now on 680CJOB. He's a great guy. Great Fantastic. family guy. But back in the day, he called me Lardass. Okay. You guys really had an affection right. for one yeah. another. Yeah. Suddenly, Smurfy doesn't sound so bad. No. <laughs> Ken's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. But right, you know, I guess it was grade six, one, you know, grade one day. Grade six? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's and, nice. and, Were you loafing it or and what? And you have to know that to this very day, I don't carry that. Not at all. Okay. No, you no. didn't come out with his name right away. 1967, yep. or whatever year that would have been. <laughs> Grade six for Cluche. We can be nice. Canada's centennial year. Is it my clothes? No. (laughs) Julie, what's coming up in the show today? Uh, Interesting conversation with Deborah Roberts of the program 2020. She actually flew to Winnipeg to cover a story that originated out of Easterville, Manitoba called The Ghost of Easterville. So we'll find out about her trip here, uh, some of her impressions of the woman that she managed to connect with, who is known as The Ghost of Easterville. And the story itself. Catfish? And the the story itself is fascinating. It sure is. parts of the story and uh, Deborah Roberts' impressions of it and, uh, you know, how they landed this exclusive with uh, somebody that looks like a teenager but is in her early 30s. And the news in this is that she does face extradition to Colorado and could face not the year and a bit that she spent in jail here, but upwards of 20 years in jail now, in is Colorado. This, is this the same story that involves some professional athletes along Absolutely the way? Absolutely it does. Now, there's a court order that prevents us in Canada from naming the victims here. But in the United States, no such court order exists. Okay. So we have to not use the names here. Uh, in the story that we'll oh, good present thing after I didn't the rattle off a news. couple. Then. That's good. That would have been good for no, me. No, you can you can certainly. That's watch why I'm still here. Watch the, kind of like watch the, can watch the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can watch the program and find out. That's really cool. That's, yeah, and uh, also uh, an, a warning issued by a woman who experienced uh, some not too nice things happen to her while she was out grocery shopping. Decided to then take it upon herself to warn other women to not fall victim the way that she has. So her story is coming up as well. Every day is a strong lineup on the news. Today is exceptionally strong. How's that? Richard Cloutier with a bold proclamation on 680 CGOB. I'm sure it is not a lie. How's that for a ringing endorsement? I'm sure it's not I'll a lie. I'll take it. It's about as good as we're going to get. Don't break your arm patting yourself Thanks, on the back there, Cloutier. Julie Buckingham as well. Thank you, Julie and Richard. And thanks to Greg. Today and Jeff Forte and Master Control. And thank you to listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.